Well, I'm going to share a short message with you today because uh, time is moving on. And um, the title of my message today is Let's Eat. And uh, who feels like eating? That'd be good. Should we have some KFC, Brian? Would you like that? That'd be pretty good. Who enjoys having KFC in church? Yeah, I reckon we should go for that right now, eh, Luke? Yeah, it's good. So um, it's amazing how good food makes us feel, particularly really good food like KFC. I know not everybody likes KFC, but um, food, like many things, create atmospheres, don't they? And when you're around a nice atmosphere, you feel good. Who enjoys good atmospheres? Yeah, it's really, really good. When, you, when I'm with Wendy um, over a nice meal in a dimly lit uh, restaurant, it's a lovely atmosphere. It's really, really nice. I've got to tell you about an atmosphere. Wendy and I were in with our boys last weekend in a restaurant, and um, I've never had a meal like this before. It's a French meal. It's called La... I might get this not... Somebody knows French better, help me, but La Raclette. Did I say that? Raclette. La Raclette. And I don't know if you know what those sort of meals are like, but they bring out um, an assortment of meat, hot potatoes and um, a bit of a side salad dish with it. Then they get this molten La Raclette cheese and they, it's all heated up and they just scrape it over your meal and it just is this delicious melted cheese over potato and meat. Oh, and then you bite it and, oh, it's beautiful. And, and then they come out in about five minutes' time and they do the same thing again. They just get some hot cheese and they just scrape it onto your meal. Oh, it's beautiful. And then in another three minutes, it's the same thing. And they come out for the fourth time. And it's just really heartwarming and really, really scrumptiously delicious. Are you feeling hungry? Yeah, I am. That's for sure. I feel like some of that right now. I'm not trying to tease you, but, um, but it's beautiful. And so, you know, th- that's an example of an atmosphere that makes you feel good. You know, you can think of, um, I guess, many atmospheres. One of the, the most beautiful atmospheres is coming into here together when we worship God. Isn't that a, isn't that a beautiful atmosphere? It's just refreshing to our souls and our spirits as we worship God and exchange with Jesus. It's an absolutely beautiful uh, atmosphere. Uh, Who's been in a bad atmosphere? Yeah, I've been in some bad atmospheres. I remember being in some bad atmospheres with bad bosses when I was young. That wasn't very nice. I mean, being in a bad atmosphere with a teacher who threw a duster at me one day. (laughs) I probably deserved it. But it, but it wasn't very good. So we've all had and all know of examples when the atmosphere around us is really, really good and when the atmosphere around us is not so good. And um, I'm going to share briefly, and it will be briefly, a story about the disciples where they found themselves in an atmosphere that wasn't very good and they found themselves in a pickle, like a real pickle, and Jesus comes along and gets them out of it. And isn't it good to have a friend that can pull you out of a pickle? Who enjoys a pickle-saving friend? Why don't you turn to your neighbour and say, I've got a pickle-saving friend. Why don't you turn to your neighbour on the other side and say, it's really funny hearing you say that, you've got a pickle-saving friend. It's a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it, on a cold winter's morning. And so um, Jesus is a good pickle-saver. And um, the disciples were really enjoying themselves. They were out on a Sunday morning going through some cornfields, just really enjoying the scenery. 
And it was just a lovely, lovely day. Sun was shining, you know, looking over these grain fields. They were just beautiful. And they were taking a few, you know, just taking off some of the grain and, and just munching on some, just really, really enjoying it. And um, they were just having a really nice day. And then some people turn up and they ruined it. And if this thing works, can you help me there, Grant? There we go. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through the grain fields, and here's Jesus and his disciples are walking through the grain fields, having a very nice day, looking over this grain. Um, <clears throat> do you know, talking about grain, there's over 2.2 billion tonnes of grain harvest a year. It's a lot of grain, isn't it? 2.2 billion. I, I wasn't so interested in that. I was more interested in how much coffee was harvested a year. So that's the real important one. There's 9 million tonnes of coffee beans harvested a year. And you know what, how many cups that represents in a day? Represents over um, 2 billion cups of coffee drunk in a, around the world in one day. It's a lot of, I'm part of that statistic. <laughs> and um, yeah, I know Owen is as well. And um, you know, worldwide there's over 2, uh, sorry, 8 billion cups of coffee, 800 billion cups of coffee, I should say. So anyway, they're walking through um, the grain fields, breaking off the heads of grain, rubbing off the husks in their hands, and they were eating the grain in a very relaxed, very enjoyable atmosphere with Jesus. Do you know when you're in the presence of Jesus, he makes you feel good. He really makes you feel relaxed. In fact, if Jesus came here right now, or if he beamed you up to heaven and you were right in front of Jesus, he would make you feel so good. He would make you feel safe. He would make you feel so secure. And if it was me, I would be probably having this thought, uh, Jesus, do you really know me? Like, do you know I'm, I'm not perfect? You know, I, I do things that I shouldn't do and probably drink too much coffee and things like that. But as Jesus was relating me, I'd get this feel that, he just thinks I'm cool. He just thinks I'm good. Because the truth of the matter is I am. Because that's who he's created me to be. He died on the cross that we can stand before him without fault in his presence, washed clean, just as though we've never sinned. Isn't that amazing? And to walk in that atmosphere as though I'm, uh, in the truth of it, a son and a daughter of God, who's never done a thing wrong, from Jesus' perspective, is incredibly freeing. And so these disciples are in his presence, the presence of heaven, the atmosphere of heaven, walking through grain fields, and they are feeling good. And they're plucking off grain. And then all of that changes, because this happens on a Sabbath day. And on a Sabbath day, and the word Sabbath was first introduced to the uh, Jewish people in Exodus 16.28. And the word Sabbath means to rest, to cease from work. That's not a new idea because God rested from his work uh, after all of creation on the seventh day. And we can read about that in Genesis 2 verse 2. But the Sabbath day was a legal requirement for the people to have rest. And when the Sabbath first started, it was a great thing because the, the Israelites in um, Egypt had been baking bricks. Just imagine Caleb making bricks every day. 
breaking them with straw. Not just one or two days a week, but seven days a week. Not for eight hours a day, but probably for 12, 14 or 16 hours a day. And he's absolutely exhausted as we all would be. And they've been doing that for over 400 years. And then Moses says this. One day a week, put up your feet and have a rest. And they would have gone, oh, the atmosphere of rest. Yes, bring me out that meal with that hot cheese and I can sit down and eat that. Yes, this is good. Not only did the Sabbath apply to that one day a week rest, it also applied on the seventh year they would rest the ground. And every 50 years they would rest from paying your debts back. So the mortgage was wiped. I go, hallelujah, let's bring that one back. So this atmosphere of rest, as God had designed it, was for people to refresh them, to enjoy the atmosphere of their homes with one another, to enjoy relationships around meals with hot cheese, and most of all, to come together to worship and enjoy their relationship with Jesus. And that's how God had designed Sabbath, had designed rest, and it's for the benefit of man. It wasn't made so a man had to do this out of obligation. It was a place of refreshment and of encouragement and of nurturing. But I don't know about you, if you start a good thing, it's very easy to drift off the mark, isn't it? If we flew from Dunedin to Auckland, and if we were off target by... Uh, three degrees, we would end either on the left-hand side of the country or the right-hand side by between 80 to 100 kilometres off target. And so the Pharisees started on target by teaching the people God's rules and God's law. But, you know, hundreds of years on, and by the time we get to the time of Jesus, they're well off track. In fact, Pharisees had, de- had um, developed rules for everything. From the time you got up in the morning to the time you went to bed at night, there were rules. So when you got up in, in, from your bed in the morning and you put your shoes on, they would say the rule is you've got to put your right-hand shoe on first, then your left-hand shoe, tie up the lace on your left-hand shoe, and then tie up the lace on your right-hand shoe. How would you like that? And if your shoes had no laces, you still had to put on your right-hand shoe first and then your left-hand shoe. If you were, you know, and I feel for the people that couldn't tell the difference between left and right. That would be in a spot of bother. And then when you're washing your hands, there was a ritual to go through and a prayer to say every time you washed your hands. And so these Pharisees had become very very legalistic. And the the Jewish law didn't allow you to work, to light a fire, to carry a load, or to harvest on a Sabbath day. And so here is Jesus and his friends having this wonderful atmosphere, and then these guys turn up. Thank you, Grant. Um, We'll go to the next slide, thanks. But some Pharisees said, why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? So the atmosphere was really good. Now it's just gone and hit through the floor because the disciples know they're in trouble. And normally the disciples would be very quick to respond. Peter's always jumping up and saying, Jesus, if you're walking on the water, uh, I'll come out and walk with you. Jesus says, "Um, thank you, didn't I even turn that on? Okay, that helps, doesn't it? Thank you, Grant. I just, yeah. I'm a bit technically challenged sometimes, so thank you, Grant. Where was I? 
Okay, so why are you breaking the law? Oh, yeah, Peter was always jumping into the water. Um, if Jesus was saying, my disciples are going to leave me, he would say, I never would. But this day, none of the disciples jump up and say a thing. Their hands are in the cookie jar. They've been cooked, caught red-handed, and they've gone red-faced. Why are you breaking the law by harvesting? And do you know there's some people that you come across that are always looking for the faults rather than looking for the goods? They're trying to find faults with others. It's not a good atmosphere to carry, is it? I don't particularly enjoy being around fault finders. And Jesus doesn't like it either. In fact, there's a book written in 2007 by a guy called David Kinnaman. It's called Unchristian, What Non-Christians Think About Christians in the US. And they were interviewing people from 18 to 24 years of age. And this is what their comments were predominantly. Christians are, you could probably say it for me, judgmental, hypocritical, self-righteous. And the comments went on. And it dawned on me, as it probably does on you, started in a very good place, but it's so easy to come off track and become like the Pharisees, looking for faults, looking for what's wrong in others. If the Pharisees weren't there, I, I, in fact, well, I just think about these beautiful fields and the Pharisees weren't there. What would have Jesus said? He could have said a number of things. He could have said this. The seed, talking about the falling on good soil, represents honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a, a huge harvest. Wouldn't that be good to say? Jesus could have also said, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? That's a field of cranberries. Isn't it beautiful? Jesus could have said, these were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. It's a really important thing that Jesus did say. He could have said it on that occasion, but he didn't because the Pharisees turned up. And what Jesus is really saying, here's this, this field, this grain field. It represents all of humanity. What's going to influence it? Is it going to be religious fault finders? Or is it going to be the Spirit of Christ that brings life to this field, to this atmosphere. It's what Jesus wants. You've, for time's sake, I'll just share this story. I've got a couple of other stories, but we haven't got time for that this morning. You know the story of Mrs. Sinclair? Would you like to hear it again? Yeah, it's, it's, time to, it's time to share it again, isn't it? Yeah, it just, I did it about once a year. And, and if you haven't heard it, I hope you really enjoy it. If you have heard it, well, just bear with me. It's a good story. In, in our world today, you know, the Pharisees were very religious. They had gone off beam that way. In our world, it's very easy to go off beam by being too gracious and just going with whatever, whenever, however. But Jesus said, I've come that you might know the truth and the truth will set you free. This story is really all about atmospheres, how Jesus ran into the atmosphere of the Pharisees. Jesus wants us to be people that bring good atmosphere to those around us, that bring life. And I got myself into a pickle one day. 
with my friends, caught red-handed, sticking um, stones and old papers and rubbish and leaves and dirt into an elderly lady's letterbox who lived next to us. Now, why a nine-year-old does that, I don't know, but I did. And I did it with my friend. And then, I mean, you know it's wrong and you just run off. And then I'm pacing up and down my driveway thinking, what will happen if my dad finds out? And uh, my friend comes up to me about two hours later and says, "Um, the neighbour wants to see you. Ooh. Now I'm facing, do I go and see my neighbour, this elderly lady, or do I go and wait for my dad to get home? I'll go and see the neighbour. It's always a safer bet. So I went and saw the neighbour. I remember walking up a driveway, intrepidated, knocked on the door, my heart's bumping through my chest. It's going boom, 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 boom. It's going a lot faster than that, actually. And hear this door, this old short lady with blue rinse hair, with whiskers out of chins. It's true. That's what she looked like. Come in, dear. I don't know if I want to come into your place. So I walked through a kitchen into a dining room table and there set at the dining room table is a glass of lemonade and a plate of milk arrowroot biscuits. And I'm stunned. My hand's just been in the cookie jar and you're offering me lemonade and milk arrowroot biscuits. And we have a bit of a conversation and this is what she says to me, is letterboxes are for letters. That's all she says. I've never forgotten it. Changed my life. And guess what her name was? Mrs. Sinclair. She cleared my sin that day. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And she taught me something I've never forgotten. And I look at Mrs. Sinclair and I go, I want to be like her. I want to be like her. Carrying the atmosphere of forgiveness, carrying the atmosphere of grace. Just last year, Caleb and I were faced with a difficult position um, at church here, where somebody had done another business, had done something pretty untoward the church. Hey, Caleb. It wasn't good. And so we contacted this business, and it's a national company, and we made them aware of the situation. They were uh, not pleased about it, um, and they came and saw us, and we had to make a decision of what we're going to do. And there was two things at stake. Either this person was going to lose their job, um, or we were going to show grace and give them another chance. And so we decided after discussion, let's show the grace of Jesus. And I remember sharing the Mrs. Sinclair story with the HR manager who'd come down from Auckland of this company. And that's the side we leaned on. And I'm very pleased we did it, eh, Callum? Yeah. Yeah, praise God for that. So this story, the Pharisees turn up and ruin the atmosphere. How are we going for time? This is the sort of thing Pharisees say. But the Pharisees in Luke 5, 21, and the teachers of religious law said to them, who does he think he is? This is Jesus. That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. I really like the next one. 
But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? That's a nice attitude, a nice atmosphere to bring into an environment, isn't it? And what about this one that Pastor Sheridan even mentioned uh, today in his Sorting the Money Thing video? What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees? This is Jesus. And I've got to say, when you go through the Gospels, Jesus is constantly appealing to the Pharisees to find faith and repentance in him. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herd gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. In, in the King James Version, it says, you annoy, ignore the weightier things of mercy and justice. You should tithe, yes, but do not forget the more, neglect the more important things, which is showing kindness and mercy and grace. And here's the crazy thing when I looked at the story. The disciples thought they had their hand in the cookie jar. They were allowed to. This is what it says. And when you enter your neighbor's field of grain, you may pluck the heads of grain with your hand. That even means on a Sabbath day, but you must not harvest it with a sickle. So they've done nothing wrong. And Jesus could have quoted this scripture, but he doesn't. Instead, he quotes, Haven't you read the scriptures, what David did when he and his companions were hungry? And of course they read the scriptures, but they didn't read them to find the real meaning, to find the real heart by what God is saying. And so what I want to encourage you, when you read the scriptures today, reading with a heart of grace, reading with a heart that seeks the truth, to carry the atmosphere of God wherever we are. And whether we confront negative atmospheres, when we bring the presence of Jesus it changes atmospheres. And that's what our world needs to experience, the atmosphere of Jesus, because it brings life and life to the full. And so I want to encourage you, church. We are atmosphere carriers. We confront judgmental characteristics. We confront excessively gracious things where people say anything goes. But God wants us to be people that walk in the grace and truth of who he is, bringing heaven, bringing the atmosphere of Jesus.